Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset. You can see I'm switching things up. I'm standing now. I'm not doing one of those sitting down video blogs because sometimes in life you need to stand for something. And I stand against transhumanism. I think. I recently finished this excellent book, The Revolutionary Phenotype by J.F. Gary P. that has helped to clarify some of my thinking that I want to share with you about this very complex topic. This book is a rigorous exposition of the misunderstood history of genetic evolution on this planet and an unnerving prediction about how transhuman hubris will enslave our descendants to phenotypic machines of our own invention. Hello everyone and welcome to The Public Space. I'm very excited for this episode because we have with us Zoltan Isvan. He is the author of the... For some time, I've enjoyed the live streams of this French-Canadian geneticist, philosopher, and YouTuber extraordinaire, J.F. Garipé. My very thoughtful and loving wife actually got me his book for Valentine's Day. J.F. is a free market scientist. He explains why he left the institution of academia. Long-term thinking is not rewarded in academia. As a scientist must produce something good every year or so in order to remain competitive. The quality of scientific works as a result has greatly diminished. I've also explored the insidious problem of bad science, the hysterical moralism that drives a lot of scientific research that you're seeing coming out, and the statist paradigm that academia is ensconced in, which creates a lot of really bad incentives resulting in shoddy science. On the story of DNA, much of this book is devoted to the ancient history of DNA, how DNA rebelled against its creator, RNA, to eventually become the dominant life form on this planet. Quote, it is a fact that DNA-based life was created by another life form, the ancient life form was called RNA. Sometime after the creation of DNA, the RNA organisms lost control over it and could do nothing to stop its takeover. That is what happened here on Earth, and it can and likely will happen again. These events occur every time one organism, with its own genetic code and means of reproduction, creates another organism with a separate genetic code and means of reproduction. It is emphasized that phenotypic revolutions are not nice. 
they are brutal Darwinian events where the weak is subjugated by the strong. Thus, we can now answer the question of the origin of life on Earth. The answer is quite simple, but shocking. DNA-based life was created by another life form. It was somewhat of an accident. After the initial accident, DNA became so aggressive that it destroyed its creators by out-competing them. It killed them, ate them, and gruesomely recycled them into building blocks that it then reused to produce its own organisms. We are the direct descendants of the DNA-based organisms that undertook this cannibalistic genocide. It discusses the third revolutionary phenotype, which is memes. In the history of our planet, there have been several phenotypic revolutions. Simple proteins to RNA, RNA to DNA, and us human beings are involved with the memetic revolutionary phenotype. Lest you ever think that we human beings are kind of a overrated and pompous species, keep in mind that in the four billion year history of this planet, encompassing many trillions of fantastic life forms. In all that time, we are the cause of at least one phenotypic revolution. And likely, in your lifetime, you will see us ignite the flames of another phenotypic revolution. Many contemporary scientists have suggested that our ability to learn from others permits a second system of inheritance, referred to as memes. This proposition, if correct, may obscure the boundary between replicators and phenotypes. By memes, we don't necessarily mean those funny images with text that go viral and get shared around on social media. By memes, we mean ideas that take on a life of their own. Внимание. Говорит и показывает Москва. Socialism, capitalism, Christianity, and Islam are some of the most successful memes in recorded history. These are idea viruses, and it's hard to deny that they don't act like living organisms. They spread, compete with each other for limited resources, and adapt to become more fit. Looking at history, you can clearly see how memes use human beings to spread and to thrive. On their own, memes don't do much of anything. But in the minds of men, brutal Darwinian competition between memes ensues. The book discusses quantum Darwinism, which posits that the quantum universe underlying our classical universe is filled with selective processes analogous to those we observe in the biological world. In other words, 
what we see and experience in the universe is classical objects, like particles and groupings of particles governed by Newtonian mechanics. They may be the result of a competing set of replicators, which are undergoing natural selection at the quantum level. And this teases a big idea. Where does life begin? Is there really a difference between the cold, mechanical, observable, predictable, Newtonian events and processes that occur in the universe and the ruckusness of the living ecosystem on this planet? On Pamspermia, You've probably heard of this before. Many different pop culture figures have pushed forward this idea that life arising on this planet was intentional and not merely incidental, which certainly appeals to our natural desire to seek for meaning, and design in this entropic universe. The idea that some alien antecedent species many billions of years ago flung the genetic material that ultimately produced life out into the cosmos as a farmer might sprinkle seeds across fertile land. And panspermia might be a bit more believable of an idea if we didn't have such strong evidence for phenotypic revolutions. The fact that there are multiple phenotypic revolutions occurring in our history on this planet strongly suggests that life is probably common. Quote, we will have made a definitive case that each of the phenotypic revolutions listed above did indeed occur. This should be a cold shower for anyone who thinks that the emergence of life is a rare process within the cavernous expanse of the cosmos. If it happened not one but three times on Earth, then we may be forced to consider that the emergence of life in our universe may be more common than we previously thought. In the same way that consciousness and free will may be the emergent properties of the dry, materialist gears of cognition in our minds, striving, ambitious, dramatic, and romantic life may be the emergent property of carbon, oxygen, acidity, light, and heat. The book discusses the evolution of sex, which was interesting to me. When I was a young, passionate, evangelical Christian in high school, I would often give my high school biology teachers a real hard time as they were trying to convey to us the theory of evolution. I would ask them about sexual reproduction. How did sexual reproduction evolve? With sexual reproduction, it takes two to tango. 
Why would natural selection create such a mechanism? From a purely materialistic point of view, wouldn't it be more efficient to just reproduce the way amoebas do? And my high school teachers never had a very good response to this. They agreed that sexual reproduction was kind of a mystery. They, they would assure me that they weren't trying to offend my religious sensibilities by teaching about evolution. And that's not what offended me. What offended me was the huge logical gaps in the theory of evolution. They could never explain to me how something like the eye might have evolved. In the book, JF posits a theory of how sexual reproduction could have occurred in a natural, non-magical, non-intelligent design type fashion. His take on this, I'll try to summarize, was that there were cells that he calls queens, he spells it in a funny way, and that these queens found it advantageous to produce offspring cells that were non-viable offspring cells that would that contained half of their genome, half of their genetic information, and that these non-viable, non-reproductive offspring cells, you can think about how in an ant farm you have the queen ant and then you have a bunch of little worker ants, and those worker ants don't reproduce, but what they do is they provide a, a guard, they provide a environment around the queen, and at some point there was a mutation that occurred where there was a, a, a cell that was created by one of these queens, and then that queen contained half the genome. And then there was a mutation with another cell that contained that other half of the genome. And over the course of billions, millions or billions of years, and trillions and trillions of cells, at one point, two of these halves of the genome met up together, and then they produced a more fit offspring that ended up reproducing. Thus, we end up getting this, you know, sweaty, fun thing that we do. We can, you can thank the queens for that. Transhumanists are ushering in a phenotypic revolution. J.F. writes, The singularity which has been proposed by a series of authors, including, most famously, Ray Kurzweil. The singularity is a hypothetical moment at which human technology would reach a critical threshold of intelligence surpassing the combined intellectual capacity of our species. Humans would be bound to be manipulated ad infinitum into serving the more intelligent machine. Even their attempts to revolt against the machine would be anticipated and thus unsuccessful. Or even worse, the machine would use the revolutionary actions of humans to its own benefit. Our descendants will not be eliminated by some imagined yet to be produced machine. Our descendants will be eliminated in the same way our ancestors eliminated the RNA life form that created them. 
I'm of two minds about transhumanism. On one hand, I can totally see JF's point. If we let it, artificial intelligence will take over our genes and enslave us. And eventually, we will become cumbersome and incommodious servants to our robotic overlords, and our extinction will be engineered. I wrote an article called Transhumanism is a Trap, and in that article I warned naive transhumanists, the universe is entropic and chaotic. The living world is Darwinian and cruel. Up until a few hundred years ago, life was just a bloody struggle of self-preservation between competing species and subspecies. Wolves don't naturally seek to coexist peacefully with sheep. They devour them ruthlessly. Many of the seemingly very benign plants that we consume actually produce harmful lectins as a defense mechanism. When even your salad is using very subtle violence against you to promote its survival, how naive is it to think that artificial intelligence won't? How naive do we have to be to invent a new form of life on this planet and hope that they won't violently compete with us? But on the other hand, what is the alternative to transhumanism? I have unintentionally watched some of these clips that go viral on Twitter of necklacing mobs in South Africa burning people alive. This has to be one of the most disturbing images that I've ever had etched into my mind. In the clips, there's several young black men, badly beaten, who are roped together with tires around their bodies. They are doused with gasoline and lit on fire. The young men panic and lurch away from the flame that slowly devours them as they shriek and writhe like the damned while the mob jeers at them. One of the skinny black men will manage to break away from the group or squirm out of his tire, but the mob will beat him back with sticks and rocks, throw more gasoline on him, and tie him down to suffer his fiery fate. I'm amazed that they allow this sort of thing on Twitter, and I would urge you to not seek out these videos. It's not something that you want to see. It's not something that you'll ever forget seeing. To anyone that's paying attention, it's clear that Western civilization is dying. Democracy is a cruel farce. Our multicultural first world countries are on the verge of civil race wars and IQs are dropping globally. We are at present a devolving species. The entire world is moving towards becoming the kind of anarchic society where mobs burn people with tires. I'll remind you that South Africa was once a highly productive, safe, civil, and orderly first world country. 
but just a few decades of socialism, Marxism, identity politics, fake news, mainstream media propaganda, and dysgenic statism have turned it into what it is. South Africa is the canary in the coal mine for what's ahead for Western European-derived countries. Unless something radically changes in the trajectory of human history, I foresee that several hundred years into the future, our descendants will toil through a shitty and violent existence on a very polluted, dusty planet pockmarked by nuclear no-go zones. European-derived white people who are responsible for almost every invention and advance that has made life awesome will have dwindled into a small, very hated global minority blamed for everything that went wrong in history. Given the choice between global, irradiated South Africa and the pipe dream of a transhumanist utopia ruled over by AI algorithms, I think I, I lean towards the latter. Three years ago they came, forever altering the future of humanity. The creator of Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry, conceptualized another epic science fiction story which became the very cerebral TV show, Earth Final Conflict. In this very underrated TV show, an alien species makes first contact with humanity in the near future. At first, they appear to be a great boon to humanity as they give us all sorts of fantastic technology, and medicine that solves all sorts of global problems. This TV show asks the perplexing philosophical question, is it better that mankind exist in a state of suffering, yet be proud and independent? Or is it better to exist in a state of comfortable subjugation? It's, it's hard to say, right? Leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. Transhumanists make some pretty incredible claims about this utopian world free of disease and petty human strife that can be brought about with genetic engineering. But that, of course, opens the Pandora's box of this revolutionary phenotype that will ultimately replace us. Here's my thought on this big question. Humanity has been brutally enslaving, raping, and bashing each other over the head with rocks for about 100,000 years, maybe longer. If this phenotypic revolution can turn us into enlightened beings that travel to the stars or at least colonize our own solar system and manage to survive 
and really thrive in this universe amongst the black holes and quasars and jagged planet-killing asteroids that are hurtling through our solar system, then I would say that the eventual rather serene enslavement that the phenotypic revolution pretty much guarantees, I'd say it's worth it. In conclusion, I rate The Revolutionary Phenotype five stars. It's a great book. It's a noteworthy book, but it's not for everybody. I don't recommend that everybody read it. It's not like a biohacking or personal growth book that's going to give you tools and strategies to improve your own life. It's a big ideas book. The author himself admits that for all the reasons described in the book and for, you know, really clear things that you can see when you look at what's going on in the world and you look at our, our culture, which is so succumbing to technology, for these reasons, the phenotypic revolution described here is pretty much inevitable. If you don't like it, sorry, there's just not that much that you can do about it as an individual or even as a organized group of motivated people. The This revolutionary phenotype is, is probably going to happen unless something really drastically changes sometime soon. The book itself was exceptionally well written. I found the metaphors and the storytelling in it really compelling. The author does a great job of anthropomorphization of the different actors and events and processes of very abstract biological microscopic things that occurred in our genetic history. So if you're a person that's always been interested with genetics, but you we're always just really failing to grasp the big ideas and the big concepts of why things happened, you might want to read this. And finally, if transhumanism is something that entices you, or if you are a transhumanist, if you identify as a transhumanist, like I once did, once upon a time, I even put on my Facebook profile that my religion was transhumanism. So if you're on that spectrum, You'll want to give this book a read so that you can understand the, the uh, implications of this particular worldview and this direction that things seem to be going. Well, leave me a comment. Let me know what you think about this. Let me know if you think that we should stay humans or that we should replace ourselves with maybe something better in the future. I'm still trying to figure this, this, this out. So I'm open to more big ideas that are uh, rigorously grounded in science. Again, I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and I look forward to a continued conversation with you.